The theme that I want us to look at together over the next few Sundays is the subject of faith. Now, that might not be the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the phrase test the water, because typically when we use that expression or we hear that, what we think of is playing it safe. We think like, you know, I'm not so sure how this is all going to work out. I need to test the water a little bit. But I want to put a twist on this idea because I don't want you to take the safe play. I want you to make a faith play. I I want you to move towards faith over these next four weeks. And here's what I mean by that. Like, you might not have it all figured out. You might have some questions. You might not be sure. You might not know all the details. But can you take a posture towards possibility? You might have some doubts or some hesitations, but can you consider that there's an opportunity here. God might be speaking to you about a thing that you need to act on, move on. Will you take a step? Truth is, anytime we come into a place like this, God always speaks, and I believe he's going to speak to you today. And the thing is, whenever we put something to the test, what we're doing is we're acting on a belief. And that's a great definition for faith. Faith really is acting on a belief. Faith isn't just what you believe, it's acting on what you believe. And the good news is that what's tested can be trusted. So together, we're going to learn to build our faith. We're going to trust God together. We're going to grow together. And I want us to do that today by giving you a very practical step. Now, if you're new to our church, our mission here as a church is to bring those far from God near to life in Christ. That's why we exist. It's what we do. And that word near is very intentional because the truth is in your relationship with Jesus, you're never, you you never really come to a point where you arrive. Like if you're doing it right, what you're doing is every day you're growing closer. Every day you're taking a step. Every day you're moving more near. That's why we talk so much about next steps here at this church because we believe that everybody has one. And maybe for you, your next step is to go to Essentials today. Essentials is something that we've designed to help you move forward with God's purpose for your life. It's a lot of people that never ever discover that God has a plan for their life and that God wants to use them to make an eternal difference. And that's why we've designed it so that you can understand how God has made you and why he's made you and how you can make a difference. Maybe uh, for some of you, you need to join a team. That's your next step. You get to make a difference on a team. Maybe for some of you, God is dealing with you about putting him first and trusting him with your finances. Maybe uh, your next step is to invite a friend to church, or it could be something much more personal than that, that God is dealing with you about. Whatever it would be, what I want you to know is that we're here to walk with you and to help you along the way. But I do want to say, that if you are one of the 33 people who last week placed their faith in Jesus, isn't that awesome? Easter weekend, people making decisions for Christ. If you're one of those people who placed your faith in Christ, you made a decision to trust in Jesus, I want to talk to you about your next step today. And your next step is to be baptized. We already baptized people for the first service. We had some people registered and we had people that weren't registered and they decided today's the day that I'm going to get baptized and maybe that's you. And the truth is a lot of us don't understand baptism. Some of us, uh, maybe we've seen it 
where, you know, you get sprinkled on the head as a baby. Um, maybe, you know, we've thought of baptism as some kind of religious tradition or practice. Maybe we've thought that baptism is the step you take when you're going to formally join a church. Or maybe we thought baptism is the thing that makes you saved. But can I tell you, baptism isn't any of those things. Baptism is a biblical thing. It is not a religious thing. And it is a very important first step for every believer. If you have placed your faith in Christ and you've never been baptized, baptism is your next step. And here's the thing about following Jesus. The truth is, you have to follow Jesus for yourself. Nobody can follow Jesus for you. And you can't follow Jesus for somebody else. And you can't make somebody follow Jesus. Following Jesus is a personal decision. But can I tell you, even though following Jesus is personal, it was never meant to be private. Now, when you decide to follow Jesus, what's personal should become public. And so what I really want to do today is help you understand baptism and why it's so important. But to do that, I don't just want you to hear it from me. I want to begin by letting you hear it from Jesus. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. It's going to be our introductory text today. In verse 19, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is what's known as the Great Commission. It is the last words of Jesus after he rose from the grave. That was last Sunday on Easter. He rose from the grave. He appeared to his disciples. He appeared to others. And after being with his disciples, before he ascended into heaven, this is his final instructions. And what he wants them to know is that my plan for you, my purpose for you, I want you to go into all the world, make disciples. I want you to baptize them. This is very important. And then I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that's what we do as a church. If you come here, you are going to learn what Jesus has said going to learn what the Bible says, and you're going to learn how to live according to the Bible. You're going to learn how to live it out. And what I want you to see today is that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants you to be baptized. But rather than just hear this as an instruction, I want you to see it as an illustration. I don't know about you. Sometimes I learn better from stories. I learn better when I can see a picture of something rather than just hear a command about something. So I want to look at an event in Scripture today that illustrates exactly what Jesus is talking about. And I want to use this text that we're going to look at uh, for this message I'm calling Take the Plunge. That's the title of my message for our first week of Test the Water. I want to talk to you about Take the Plunge. Now, it's always my custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's Word because I know I need God's help when I get up here. And I believe you probably need God's help too. So if you would, would you just bow your head with me and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. God, we know every time we open up your word, you speak. And I'm asking that you would do it again, God. Use me, speak through me. And God, only you can take one word, one message and personalize it and individualize it to each person here. So God, that's what I'm asking that you would do. You know what people are facing, what's on their mind, what they went through this week, what they carried in here. And God, I'm asking that you'll bring freedom, bring help, bring hope through this word today. I believe you will in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. 
Hey, I'm curious, how many of you here like surprises? Anybody like surprises? I gotta confess, I'm always a little skeptical of those of you that raise your hands. Because I think like, I, I just wonder what life has been like for you. Because I know like, if I ask my kids, my kids love surprises, they do. Because in their mind, everything that's been a surprise has been a good thing. Like they get birthday presents, it's a surprise. You know, they get fun activities with dad or mom, it's a surprise. But I mean, if I just started like surprising them with spankings, like it's probably gonna change their perspective, you know, just like a preemptive, just in case they do something wrong in the future, just gonna take care of it ahead of time. And uh, I just, you know, surprises, let's be, can I see your hands again? Like how many of you like surprises? I think some hands went down on the second time with that. <laughs> let's be, let me rephrase, how many of you like good surprises, right? See, we like the surprises that we like, but it's, you know, surprises can be, can be bad sometimes. And uh, I'm, I'm working on this because Marissa's 40th birthday is coming up. So I'm, I'm working on surprising her, but I've learned that there's good surprises and bad surprises. The last good surprise I gave her was Grant. He was a surprise. Um, but uh, but there, there's good surprises and bad surprises. I'm curious, actually, how many of you don't like surprises? I just want to know who you are. See, even you raised your hand up slow. You didn't want to surprise yourself. It was just not too fast there. I, uh, I, I don't like surprises. I like to surprise people, but I don't like surprises probably because I like to be in control. Like, I always want to know how am I supposed to react. I want to kind of think it through first. But um, it's interesting to me how some of the biggest and best opportunities in your life will come at a time where you didn't expect it. I mean, sometimes the greatest things in life come as a surprise. Like, I mean, for Marissa, the greatest day of her life, the day that changed everything for her, the day that I proposed, it was the greatest moment of her life, came as a surprise. And that's the way surprises are, you know, like sometimes a surprise, it might be a surprise to you, but it doesn't mean it's a surprise to everybody else because somebody has to plan these things. And, you know, uh, even in our own life, sometimes the surprises that come understand that they're not a surprise to God. Might be a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to God. And I bring this all up because in the passage we're going to look at today, it's really quite surprising what happens. I want us to look at an event that takes place in Acts chapter 8. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I just want to tell you, it's always a good idea whenever you come to church, however you engage with the Word of God, um, to engage with your Bible. Maybe some of you have one of those Bibles that are leather-bound with pages. Uh, I want to encourage you to bring that. If you're like me and you read on your tablet or your phone, then use that. But it's always a great idea to see the Word of God for yourself and to take notes. I encourage our staff to actually come with a paper and pen and take notes that way because the greatest way to move what God says to you from your head to your heart is with your hand and to take notes. And, you know, you might need this stuff on Monday and you're going to be like, man, what did the pastor say? And I can't remember because you didn't write it down. So I want to encourage you to let's study the Bible together. But the book of Acts was written by Luke. And maybe you've heard his name before. Luke not only wrote the book of Acts, he was one of the gospel writers. He wrote the gospel of Luke. And Luke wrote these two books. He wrote them together, really to chronicle the history of Christianity. The Gospel of Luke details the life and ministry of Jesus. The book of Acts 
it kind of reads like a travel blog of Paul's missionary journeys, and it, it talks about the spread of Christianity, how it all started. And what's interesting about Luke is that he was a theologian as much as he was a historian. Here's what I mean by that. He wasn't just writing down the details so that you would know what happened. He wrote them in such a way, he wrote them with such intent that it would build faith in you. He's saying, here are the things that you need to know about. Here's why you can trust this. Here's the evidence. Here's, here's what's going to help you in your walk with God. And so in Acts chapter 8, it's really this illustration of the words of Jesus that we looked at in the book of Matthew. Because Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of every nation. And that happens in Luke or in Acts chapter 8. What's funny, though, is that the spread of the gospel didn't happen because of some great strategy. It really kind of happened by surprise. You see, what, what happened was the church in Jerusalem, all these Jews that placed their faith in Jesus, the church in Jerusalem was scattered because of persecution. If you were here last week, I talked about Paul, how Paul was this guy who persecuted Christians. That's why. Paul, formerly known as Saul, Saul of Tarsus, was persecuting Christians. And so all these Christians, they spread out to different areas. And in Acts chapter 8, we read about this one guy, Philip, who went to Samaria. And he's like, well, I'm here. I'm a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to do what Jesus told us to do. I'm going to begin to preach the gospel. And I just want to say something about that, that the church always grows under persecution. And I, I don't want to try and make a correlation between the pandemic and persecution. But what I do want to say is anytime we think something is going to come against the church, just know that the church is getting ready to grow and advance. I'll tell you, even in our own experience, we've had more. There might be less people in the room, but we've got more influence than we've ever had before. We're seeing more people come to Christ. We see so many people join in online. So don't get it confused that some, just because something looks small that it's not growing. And I'm telling you, there's actually going to come a day. I'm glad that you have a seat now because there's going to come a day where every seat's going to be full. You'll walk in and you won't be able to find a seat because the church is growing and expanding. So that's not the point of what I'm trying to say. But what I do want to say is that the gospel spread not by strategy, but by surprise. And some of the greatest fruit in your life won't happen because you planned it. Some of the greatest things God will do in your life will happen by surprise. So Philip, he went to the city of Samaria, he preached the gospel, and <laughs> it's so amazing what happened. He preached it with such power that multitudes come and place their faith in Jesus. People get baptized, it's revival, and while Philip is experiencing this incredible fruitful ministry, something surprising happens in verse 26. It's not what you'd expect. Let's look at it together. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and the angel said, get ready and go south. Go to the road that leads down to Gaza from Jerusalem, the desert road. So in the midst of this spectacular work, Philip gets this instruction to leave behind this incredible ministry, this incredible opportunity, and go to this remote place. you got to understand, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, in Philip's mind, he's seen some of the greatest fruit he's ever seen. He, he's being used by God. The, he's accomplishing the will and the mission of Jesus. And in this moment, God divinely speaks to him and says, hey, 
I want you to go a different direction. I want you to go someplace else. And I'm just wondering as I read this, not the main point of my message, but I'm just wondering, has God ever redirected your path? Has God even ever redirected your path when things were going good and all of a sudden you get an instruction that doesn't make sense? I want to tell you a little secret about the way God works. I want to give you some insight into this because what I've learned is that when God gives an instruction, many times God gives a simple instruction. The instruction doesn't always make sense, but the instruction is simple. This is a crazy thing. An angel appears to him. It doesn't make sense. There's this great ministry. Go someplace else. But the instruction itself is very simple. The instruction is go to this other place. This is the way God works in our life. God will give you a simple instruction. He'll say, give. He'll say, serve. He'll say, go. He'll say, stay. He'll say, forgive. A simple instruction. But it can seem confusing. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. God, you want me to give when, like, I'm doing, like, I feel like I'm barely making it just as I am? You want me to serve when I feel like I'm already busy and being stretched with all these demands on my life? You want me to forgive after what they did to me? It doesn't make sense. It can seem confusing. It's a simple instruction. And I'm bringing, I'm spending some time here because lots of times, like in the church world, we think that simple means shallow and complicated means deep. Like, <laughs> if you give me something simple to do, it must not mean very much, it must just be shallow. But if you can confuse me and tell me something complicated that I don't understand, that must be really deep. But can I tell you, it's often the simplest instructions that have the deepest impact. Simple instructions. So Philip, again, it doesn't make sense, but he gets this simple instruction and he leaves Samaria. He goes into a desert road. The Bible says that as he was traveling, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Let's read together. It says, so Philip got ready and went. And on the road, he saw a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch. He was an important officer in the service of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he was responsible for taking care of all of her money. He'd gone to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was on his way home. He was sitting in his chariot and reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So picture this. Philip leaves the multitude for a man. This doesn't make sense. He has to feel like his ministry is going backwards. God, this is not going the right way. And can I just tell you that sometimes... God doesn't always move you to bigger and better. Sometimes God will move you to smaller and more remote. But just because it's small, don't despise it because sometimes small can be significant. And what we see here is that this man was significant. This guy is in charge of the money for an entire country. This is an important dude. This is an important guy. And what's fascinating, he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. It's a book in the Old Testament. It's written 700 years before the birth and life of Christ. And this is not a coincidence. Isaiah, of all the books in the Old Testament, Isaiah describes the most comprehensive picture of Christ of any of the books in the Old Testament. When Isaiah prophesies, he, he talks about the scope of his life. He the announcement of his coming, his virgin birth, the proclamation of good news, his sacrificial death, that he's going to return and claim his people. All that's in Isaiah. And it all came 
from this simple instruction. And I love this next part because look in verse 30. It says, so Philip ran toward the chariot. <laughs> How many times do we do the opposite? God gives us an instruction. We don't run. We drag our feet. Uh, like, I'll just kind of mosey over there. I'll just see. Like, this is weird, God. Like, you're telling me, I don't know this guy. He's reading. I don't want to bother him. But he gets this instruction. And notice it came differently because the first time was an angel. This time it says the spirit told him, go toward the chariot. Because God is not always going to speak to you in the same way. He's not always going to do things for you the same way. But he gets this instruction. He runs toward the chariot. And he hears the man reading from Isaiah. Because in this time it would have been customary to read out loud. Even if you're reading to yourself. And Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? And that's the other question I'd like to ask you. Do you understand? Do you understand the message of the gospel? Do you understand this good news? Because if you really understand it, it is going to influence your decisions. Do you understand that God loves you as much on your worst day as on your best day? Do you understand that, that God loves you so much that he made a way for you to be in relationship with him? And not just in relationship. Do you understand that, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? And they are good plans. Do you understand that God knows you better than you know yourself? He made you. He knows the way you think. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. And he has a specific plan and purpose and thing for you to do that only you can do. He wants you to make an eternal difference here on this earth. Do you understand that? Do you understand that faith in Jesus demands action? That what's personal is meant to be public. That what you believe should impact how you behave. I wonder, do you understand baptism? Sometimes I think we don't. Sometimes I, I think we're kind of like, like my kids. Like years ago, my oldest is Reese, but I remember when he was five, and my middle son, Oliver, is like one and a half. And they're getting to bath. And I, Marissa's bathing them. And I walk in the bathroom. And Reese is like taking Oliver, one and a half year old brother. And he's putting him under the water and pulling him up. And putting him under the water and pulling him up. I'm like, Reese, what are you doing? He's, he said, I'm baptizing him. <laughs> he thought it was called baptism. And I mean, he did it like seven times because Oliver had a lot of sin. So we really had to get him, get him cleaned up. Baptizing. But you know, we don't understand baptism lots of times. Sometimes we think it's the event that makes a person a Christian. I'll meet people. I'll be like, hey, have you ever, you know, are you a Christian? You're a Christ follower? Like, yeah, I was baptized when I was seven. Well, that's awesome to be baptized when you were seven. But that's not the thing that determines whether or not you're saved. Sometimes we misunderstand baptism and think, I've got to get cleaned up before I can be baptized. But baptism isn't, that, that's not the way it works. And so we, we have all these misunderstandings about baptism. I will say Reese did get one thing right, though. At least he was taking him under the water. <laughs> because that's what baptism is. See, at our church, we have a very literal view of baptism. The word baptize comes from a Greek word, baptizo. 
And it literally means to submerge or to plunge, to go under the water. So at our church, we take people under the water, but it's not just because the word means that. It's literal. I mean, that's the way that Jesus was baptized. So we follow his example. He, of course, was taken into the River Jordan by John the Baptist, placed under the water, came up. But it's a picture and a symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus died on the cross, was placed in the tomb for three days. And on the third day, Easter, we just celebrated this. And the third day, he got up from the grave. So we place people under the water as a symbol that we are buried with Christ. And we bring them out of the water as a symbol that a scripture says we are raised up together with Christ. We read that last week. Baptism is a symbol of resurrection life on the inside of you. It's a symbol that the old way has died. The old person has died. You have been resurrected. You have been made new in Christ. And so we've got these misconceptions about baptism. And sometimes we think, well, I mean, I was baptized as a kid. Do I need to do it again? Well, I, here's what I would tell you. If you were baptized as a kid, was it your decision or your parents' decision? Because baptism is a personal decision. And if you were baptized as a child, and then it's your parents' decision, then what I would tell you is you need to be biblically baptized. And you can view it as a way to honor your parents' decision. So I grew up in the Methodist church. And in the Methodist church, they sprinkle babies. That's, that's baptism. My dad was a Methodist pastor. And he didn't call it baptism because he knew that baptism was going under the water and coming up. But I was dedicated. Methodist, we call it baptized, sprinkled. And that was a symbol of my parents saying, we're doing this for our child in hopes that they're going to make this personal decision for themselves. By the, we dedicate babies here. We're going to do that again around Mother's Day. It's coming up soon. But baptism is a personal decision. And so I would tell you, if you've never been biblically baptized, then today would be the day. Look at it as a fulfillment, a way to honor what your parents did. And I want you to understand this because the official said to Philip, verse 31, he answered, said, how can I understand? I need somebody to explain this to me. And he invited Philip to climb in and sit with him. Somebody should do a message called sit with me sometime. And this verse of scripture that he was reading was this. He was like a sheep being led to be killed. He was quiet as a sheep is quiet while its wool is being cut. He said nothing. He was shamed and was treated unfairly. He died without children to continue his family. His life on earth has ended. It says where he was reading from there. And the officer said to Philip, please tell me who was the prophet talking about? Was he talking about himself or someone else? And Philip began to speak. He started with the same scripture and told the man about the good news of Jesus. Because make no mistake about it. Jesus is the central figure on every page of scripture. He's the key person in every plot. This book is about him, and this church is a Jesus church. So Philip preaches the gospel of Jesus to this man. Verse 36, it says, while they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the officer said, look, here's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? And this is the real question I wanna ask you. What's stopping you from being baptized? We've got water out there today. What's stopping you from being baptized? 
Because we've been doing this long enough, I've learned that a lot of people say yes to Jesus, but for one reason or another, they say no or not yet to baptism. And I don't know all the reasons why. I think here's a few of them. Maybe one of the reasons people say no is because, like, well, I want my family to be there. And I think that's good. I think that's admirable. But can I tell you, one day you are going to stand before Jesus. And whether your family is there or not, you are going to be there. And you are going to have to make the decision. Did you personally follow him? You can't follow Jesus with your parents' faith. You have to follow him for yourself. And besides that, can I tell you, you're among spiritual family right now. You're among the people of God who love you, want to celebrate you, care about you, want to help walk with you along life's journeys. This is a spiritual family. And we're also going to video it. We've got photographers here to take pictures. You can send it to them, okay? We, we can, your family can celebrate after. So it's maybe sometimes the reason we, we don't get baptized is I'm, I'm not ready yet. I'm not prepared. And I get that. I get that. You probably didn't come expecting today to get baptized. You didn't wake up thinking that today was going to be the day that you got baptized, biblically baptized. You might not have been prepared, but can I tell you that we are? We came prepared. We were planning on this. It might be a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to us. It might be a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to God. And we have everything you need, change of clothes and towels and makeup and all that kind of stuff to make sure that you are taken care of. Sometimes people think, well, I, I don't know, I, just, I need to get my life cleaned up. I've got too many things. I've got stuff I'm not proud of. I've got issues I'm working through. Look, I, I get it. But can I tell you, baptism isn't where you find Jesus. Baptism's what you, what you do once you found him. And if you are a follower of Jesus today and you have never been biblically baptized, today's your day. Today's your day. You might be here, you're a Christian, and you've never been biblically baptized, and, and you're thinking, well, do I have to? Well, no, you don't have to. You can be a Christian and not be baptized. You can. It's like you can be married and not wear a wedding ring. But why would you want to? I, I, I've just noticed that, like, any time we're about to have a significant shift in our life, we're marking a transition, like maybe, um, you know, we're entering a new season. We have some kind of celebration, some kind of moment to recognize it. You know, we have graduation parties, we have weddings, maybe sweet 16th birthday, retirement party, all these different things to mark. This is a new season in my life. That's what baptism is. You... You're declaring that your life has changed, that it's different from this moment forward. It's where you can look back and say, that's where I went public. So scripture says, verse 38, then the officer commanded the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the officer went down into the water, again, biblically baptized. Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. The officer never saw him again. And the officer continued on his way home, full of joy. This is a cool story because 
this is actually the first non-Jewish believer to place their faith in Christ. What's so amazing about it is Philip first went to the Samaritans who were kind of Jewish. They followed the Jewish way, but the Jews didn't really like them. And then he goes and preaches to this Ethiopian. And it's just a testament to the fact that the gospel breaks through social barriers, eliminates racial prejudices and divides. The gospel is the answer. And this, this small, simple instruction had so much significance, but it came as a surprise. Some of the greatest moments in our life happen when we wouldn't expect. You look all through scripture, you look at this, David defeated Goliath, became the king of a nation. What was he doing? Obeying his father's instruction, delivering food to his brothers. Moses, tending sheep on the backside of the desert, doesn't expect it, but there's a burning bush. God speaks to him and calls him to be the deliverer of a nation. One of my favorite stories, the New Testament, the disciples, they're not disciples yet, Peter and his friends, they're had been fishing all night. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, throw your net on the other side. Oh, and by the way, come follow me. None of them, when they woke up that day, expected that their life was going to change in such a dramatic way. But it did. And maybe for you, you didn't wake up this morning thinking that you were going to be baptized, but you are. And if I'm talking to you today, I want to invite you to test the water and take the plunge.